Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of Spectology, the Science Fiction Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and uh, with me today is a special, a very special guest, the author, uh, Stanley Chen. Hi, Stan. Hi, Matt. I'm Stanley Chen Chiu Fan, the author of Race Thai um, from China. Right now, in Hong Kong airport, waiting to fly to Singapore Writers Festival. Oh, terrific. Great pleasure to be here. Terrific. Yeah, we're we're so, so glad to have you here. It's just me today. Normally, I have my co-host Adrian on as well. Um, logistical reasons uh, made it so that it was easier for just me to do this interview, but I'm extremely excited to do it. I am a big fan of your work, Stan. And uh, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's terrific. And uh, I recently read um, uh, Waste Tide and we did Waste Tide on our, on our book club podcast, Pictology. And so it's really exciting to get a chance to talk to you directly. Uh, I've got so many questions. I asked Adrian to send me any questions that he had so I could ask those too. And uh, yeah, it's just really, really, really exciting. So <laughs> um, yeah, so first of all, I guess um, I just want to ask you kind of uh, about the book Waste Tide since we, Adrian and I both really, really liked it. Um, you know, I have some experience with uh, Chinese science fiction. I uh, lived in China for several years and I have a, I would say a, a a pretty deep connection to China and I, I really like a lot of Chinese cultural things and Chinese science fiction is one of them. This was not the first thing of yours that I'd ever read, but it was your first novel of yours that I'd ever read and I really, really enjoyed it. So I just wanted to ask you kind of uh, how you got started working on Waste Tide and uh, mm-hmm. what what kind of got you thinking about the stuff that eventually went into the book? Mm-hmm. I actually wrote about this in an article uh, published on Tor.com. So it was back in like 2011 so it's in an autumn so i went back home to my hometown like shantou in guangdong province um it's a small city right so so i had a chance to have dinner with my childhood friends and one of them who used to work for america a recycling company in guangdong province so he told me there's a small town named guiyue which is so close to my uh, hometown, like 60 kilometers away, one hour's drive. But it's so-called the center of the world's uh, electronic waste recycling. And I saw those pictures on media and on those uh, anthropology, anthropology reports, and it's totally shocking to me. And because it's so close, I, I didn't aware of this place exist before. So I decided to go and see it myself. And that's the very original trigger of writing this tie because it, it made me think a lot about the waste and the environmental issues uh, around us in, in, in nowadays life. So it's not only in China, but it's like globally, right? So we saw the people, the waste worker, the migrant worker from other part of the China, so they didn't wear anything to protect their uh, physical health. So, and there's no any protection, uh, gloves or like uh, mask or something. So they just use their bare hand and bare nose to detect all these kind of like uh, electronic uh, devices and assembling them with acid, with chemistries, with, uh, yeah, and with a heating pot. 
to melt them down and and uh, distracting all this kind of valuable uh, material like metals. So to making money. So it's kind of a uh, economy industry like running there. So it's making money. So but I don't feel it right because most of this maybe like ninety percent of this electronic waste was shipped from a developed country like U.S. or Europe. So it's kind of not in my backyard principle, right? You, of course, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of ridiculous to me right? because all the things was assembling in China and selling all around the world. And right now it, they were retired. and But finally, the, the waste come back to China and causing a lot of problems. So I think I have to write something about it because it's about my hometown, it's about my people, it's about our land. So I, I started countering some ideas around it, but I know I couldn't write it directly into a nonfiction because it will be too straightforward. There's so many relevant parties involved. So I decided to make it into a science fiction, which I um, pretty much have experience on writing it. So, and it will become more metaphorical. So it, it can show to the readers that not only happened in China on our day, it happened before, it might happen in the future in Southeast Asia, Southern America, India, Africa, everywhere. So this is the dynamic. So if you couldn't see the whole picture, you might think it's the government's fault, it's the people's fault, but actually it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a chain. It's a totally a, a, a huge system there. So that's the very beginning how I put my thought into writing the book. Wow. Yeah, that's that's actually really, really interesting. I kind of, I was trying to imagine because we, we looked up, uh, you know, where you were from and and uh, yep. I, I could see that, that, that Shantou was really near um, Guiyu and I, uh, I, I heard that it was a real place and I was trying to imagine what it was like for you. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you'd always known about it or if you mm-hmm. just heard about it all of a sudden. Could, yeah. I, I'm really curious. Do you mind saying like what it was like when you went there? Um, what did you do? Um, actually, I didn't do anything. I just take the bus there and walk around and see things because everyone is so cautious because there used to be some people from Greenpeace and maybe from uh, media, like the journalist, uh, will visit. And maybe it's kind of a paradox because people report this thing, try to uh, improve their situation, right? But people will take it as a threat. It's threatening their business. So maybe they're losing their job. They couldn't make money anymore. Mm. So they'll be very cautious about the outsiders. So to me, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just walking there, seeing the scene and smelling all those like stinky uh, air. And I saw the river actually is totally black and green. So wow. it's, yeah, exit everywhere. And kids, kids, uh, the offspring of the migrant workers, they actually play among all this motherboard. Uh, circuits and cables everywhere piled up like mountains. So it's just like the the playground, just like the Disneyland. So <laughs> that's 
totally shocking to me and it's kind of miserable to me right like people yeah. children in in the city like they don't have this kind of like uh hazard and harmful environment like yeah. everything around us is so clean and tidy and neat so we thought we just dumped something into the into the trash tank and it will gone it will disappear but actually went somewhere else and somebody has to take care of them and suffer from it so i think that's kind of like the invisibility of the waste to modern life so yeah it's kind of like uh, make me think deeper about the thing yeah that's really really interesting um it's it's it makes a lot of sense that that you were you were there in person to look around because I think a lot of your descriptions in the book are so vivid and it really the language that you use to describe you know what it's like you know when when the characters are just walking around mm-hmm. in in York way yes. your silicon island um, yes. you know it's 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 uh it's very vivid and so it makes sense that you're talking from real life um so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about uh, Waste Tide, but I think it might be it might make more sense to kind of back up for a second and ask you a little bit about um, your career in general and kind of maybe, you know, the listeners could learn a little bit more about uh, the rest of your work and, and kind of how, how, you, uh, mm-hmm. how you're a part of the Chinese science fiction scene because, you know, you are. I mean, you're actually, at this point, a very famous author in the Chinese science fiction scene. <laughs> um, you've really become pretty huge, I think. So, um, do you mind saying how 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 did you get involved in in writing science fiction um, in the first place and 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 why? Yeah, I I uh, I was a big fan of sci-fi since I was a kid. So, like starting, I I think it was back in the days in kindergarten. I watched uh, Star Wars, Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Around, I I guess it must be around. 10 or something like 8, 9 or 10. And I read Duverne, H.G. Wells and those Golden Age classics um, uh, around uh, primary school, I guess. Do you mind, sorry, do you, mind, do you mind if I ask you like, uh, what were some of your favorite stories from back? Did you like Star Wars or Star Trek more? Or did you like H.G. <laughs> Wells the most? What was your favorite, you know? Yeah, that's a good one because uh, <laughs> always a uh, good fight b- between the two. I, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> um, I remember actually I encountered Star Wars and Star Trek like simultaneously. I watched uh-huh. the Star Trek actually is the original anime series. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But I watched Star Wars uh, four, five, and six on TV. So so mm. New Hope. Uh, Strike back and and all those things. So to me, I think firstly, start will open a new world to me. Like uh, I didn't see anything like that before. Like uh, Yoda, like the Force, like the spaceship, the Death Stars. Everything is so astonishing. So I think it blew me away. But after that, I watched like uh, Star Trek. Uh, the anime series and it brought to me like more in-depth thinking about like how people respond when encounter with different a totally different uh, civilization and species uh, in space 
And I think this kind of like uh, expectation and exploration is making me more passionate about sci-fi. And also Spock. Spock <laughs> is my personal favorite like character in, in <laughs> all time. Yeah, so I always like imagine myself as some kind of Vulcan. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah, so logical, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. What yeah. about uh, what about uh, literature? Did you have yeah. a favorite author when you were a kid? Yeah, when I was very little, my one of my favorite, I, I guess, is the Mystical Island by Javert. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, cool. but later on in the high school days, I loved Arthur C. Clarke's uh, Rendezvous with Rama. Oh so yeah, I love that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even like uh, to me is more important than uh, 2001 mm. Space Odyssey because I watched that movie later on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Oh, that's really cool. What about um, uh, Chinese literature? Were there any mm -hmm. uh, kinds of Chinese literature that you were really into as a as a kid or or you know as a young man? Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I read like uh, so many different things, like those. Uh, classic uh, ancient Chinese fictions and ghost tales and and legend. And like uh, also, Liao Zhai Zhi, like yes, stuff like that? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that's, that's cool. one of my favorite, yeah. And also I, I read some wuxia uh, oh, by cool. Jin Yong and some others. And oh all, yeah, Do you, also, are, you a, yeah. are you a Jin Yong fan? Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know anyone who is. isn't, but you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. So, and also I, I read some, like, uh, you can you can say it's science fiction, but to me it's more like science fairy tale. So back mm -hmm. in the days, it's mostly about like science and technology, uh, popularity. So it's like broadcasting some... Uh, knowledge and theories using the, the the form of fairy tale so when i was very young yeah oh okay yeah when you were very young oh yeah is there anything that you would say you know from when you were growing up or maybe even when you were uh, you know already becoming an adult are there any particular authors whether they're whether they're chinese or western or wherever um that were most influential on on your writing i think um because I study Chinese literature, so I mostly read a lot of like mainstream literature from uh, China and West. So I dare not to say there's any one like a major uh, influence on my writing, but I really absorbing a lot of different style and writing skills for all these authors. Like in, in China, I pretty much uh, prefer Lao Shi. Interesting. Oh, cool. He's the author of the uh, Mao Chengji. Yeah, Mao Chengji. I, I, uh, I actually yeah. brought that up. I mean, it, I think a lot of people say it's science fiction, right? So that's yes. a cool, interesting... Actually, it is. It's a di dystopian about using weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's sort of... the. As far as I know, I haven't read it, but as far as I know, the plot... I mean, there's some similarities to your writing because Lao Shu, I have read other Lao Shu, and he's a very good prose mm -hmm. stylist his his sentences are very yes. beautiful um and i think you you are the yes. kind of writer to me at least your sentences are very like you 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 don't just care about the plot you care about making beautiful sentences mm -hmm. you know what i mean 
So that's yeah. a connection. I think. Yeah, yeah, because it, yeah, uh, because I, I, I do some paper on Laoshe, like my, oh. my, 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 yeah, my, my, my bachelor paper was on Laoshe's, uh, oh. Xiangzi. I, I didn't know if you know that. Yeah. I don't. What is it called? Luo Tuo Xiangzi. Oh, Luo Tuo I have, I have heard yeah. of that. I never, I never read it, but I have heard of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a classic one. Yeah. When I was in university, I, I, um, I was a Chinese major, and I read mm-hmm. a lot of uh, oh. modern, modern Chinese literature. But, no wonder. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I love talking about. It. I think it's really interesting, and uh, someday I should read that. Yeah, because. When you're talking about the literacy uh, writing style, because in China, a lot of people, like not only readers, but also writers sometimes think sci-fi is only about the ideas. It's only about the plots, but there's nothing literacy there. But I I totally not agree with that. Mm -hmm. So I think science fiction could be very beautiful and very poetic and also must be very carefully addressing the, the sentence, the phrasing. So I think it, that's why people don't take it serious because you didn't write it seriously, right? Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think that um, you wish that more science fiction authors um, spent more time thinking carefully about how to write like at a sentence level? Do you think that uh, this kind of maybe literary style is uh, important for science fiction? Yes, because um, right now I can see a lot of like talented uh, Chinese science fiction writer, like young writers. So maybe they have great ideas, like they have great uh, settings, but they just treat it like uh, um, just like a I, I mean, science fiction is pop fiction in a way, but it doesn't mean that it don't have the possibility to become classic, right? Mm-hmm. So, and if you put it in the right way, you put it more serious and people will treat it more serious and the influence will become huge, bigger and bigger. So I think, you know, the market, or the like, uh, the critique, or the I don't know, the atmospheres will become more friendly. Uh, yeah, getting more attention, and mm. it will be lasting longer than just being a pop fiction, right? Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's interesting to think about how things have changed. Also, you know, mm-hmm. do you think Chinese science fiction is um, evolving in that direction? Yes. That's that's really interesting because it's it's hard for a lot of Westerners. I mean, translation means that it's, you know, people uh, who don't speak Chinese are always reading it in another language, and mm-hmm. the, stu- yes. the translation has an effect maybe on on how that works. Yes. I definitely wanted to ask you about translation, but before we move to that, I was really one of the things I was really really interested in on the subject of like being literary and and the use of language. Mm-hmm. You know, you you um you use a lot of feng yan yes. in your in your uh, in waste tide. Yes. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting choice because in the, in history, a lot of like literary uh, people think mm-hmm. that Fang Yan is lower, maybe. Yeah. Like it's a less yeah. sophisticated uh, way yeah. of writing. But uh, you are really, you are somebody who both values 
literary style and mm-hmm. uses Feng Yin. So could you tell tell me a little about kind of why you wanted to use Feng Yin and, and kind of what that means to you? I mean, because I study Chinese literature, if you look into history, you will know that the history of Chinese literature mostly is dominated by Mandarin. And Mandarin is an official language like uh, in the West, in the North, North part of China. So even like Shanghai, they don't use Mandarin before, but now it's like kind of like standardizing the language and those like uh, Fangian typelets, they were uh, kind of depressing. And I think it's totally wrong because it like uh, uh, reduced the uh, diversity and authenticity of Chineseness because China is so huge. We have different culture, we have different people, and we have different language for sure. So if you couldn't bring in all this kind of like diversity into writing, that might become very simplifying the the, the China itself, and it will bring some bias, um, some discrimination maybe to the Westerners. So to me, uh, I was raised. I was born and raised in the southern part of China. So I, I totally think it's important and it's very critical to me, like using the tablets, like my, my mother tongue, uh, and also Cantonese into the, into the writing, because I think it's the only way to reflect the atmospheres and the way people uh, communicate and interact is different from the people in the north. So yeah, I try to bring a more holistic China to the readers. So that's uh, what I think about. Yeah, I thought that was really one of my favorite things about Waste Tide was how you did that. And I think also it, it has a, it helps it helps um, the reader understand and get into the lives, I mm-hmm. think, of some of the characters who are not, who are maybe migrant workers or who are poor, you know, who don't, who didn't get an amazing education, you know, mm-hmm. because that's just what they're live. That's how they, that's how they talk. That's their normal yeah. language. Yeah, that's true. So that's really cool. And it's especially cool for, for um, I think, for a Western audience uh, <laughs> because they don't, you know, they wouldn't it's ever also go. Difficult. Yeah, they would never go to Guayu. Mm-hmm. It's most Chinese people will never go to Guayu. So I think it's a really cool thing. Um, so yeah, that, that that kind of brings up an, a thing I really wanted to ask you a lot about, which is um, which is translation. I think it's really mm-hmm. interesting. You're you're bilingual. Yeah. Actually, maybe you know other languages, but you're at least bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, and so I was wondering, you know, did you um, do you know Ken Liu? Did you kind of work with him on the English translation? How did the translation of Waste Tide into English uh, work? Yeah, actually, we work very closely together, and uh, especially during the process of uh, doing editing by Lindsay Hell from Tor. I think she's giving very valuable uh, opinions and comments in the original translation. So we will go discussing uh, back and forth on how to revising the translation, even go back to the original Chinese edition and we change something to, 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 to make the 
uh, textbook, college. So I think bilingual is isn't uh, to me like because I can directly read the comments. I can uh, directly uh, communicate with the translator and the, uh, and the editor. So I think it's very helpful because uh, sometimes it's so it could be so confusing if you have to translate something like the comments and you couldn't read the translation yourself, you will totally get lost. And that's what happened previously to most of the Chinese authors, mm. right? Like the, in, in the elder generation, like Mo Yin or, or someone mm-hmm. else in his age, they couldn't like read English or speak English. So that's a big problem to me because they couldn't, read the translation themselves so they have no nothing to negotiate with on there's nothing they can change but to me it's like ken is a very best friend of me of of mine and also lindsay um she's super generous to offer offering uh this opportunity and also a lot of valuable comments so i think both them too like really helping to work getting better and that's why this year in china we do a new edition of oh. uh, tie in, in chinese but aligned with the english one really so oh that's it, so interesting yes so it's yeah so it changed a lot like one third i i, I say so because we, we arrange a lot of like uh, some lines and we we do some part of the violence, sexual scenes. Really? Yes. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, no, no, because I, so I, I, um, I was really interested. So I read the old, I guess the old Chinese version, um, which I was able to get online, and I noticed that there was less uh, violence in the English version. And I wanted to ask you um, yes. if that was your decision or or how 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 that happened. You know. Yeah, I think it was the decision uh, from both sides. Because from one hand, uh, there's different uh, standards uh, on publication, right? There's different kind of uh, sensitivities, I would say. For example, mm-hmm. if like Mimi in the, in the original uh, novel is like 16 years old, mm-hmm. uh, girl from... Uh, Underdeveloped uh, part of China, maybe Sichuan province, in my in my imagination. So I think in, if we put it in uh, American market, it will be quite uncomfortable to put it in the extra violent scene. Mm-hmm. Like especially there's some sexual elements uh, within, so it's kind of abusement and torture. So yeah, so Lindsay points out this might be a potentially risk uh, on the market because you know the the atmosphere right now in the states is um yeah i'll say it's pretty interesting here. yeah you know i think yeah. that's that's super interesting and i i actually yeah. just per- personally i think i agree with her i think it was a smart decision um, yeah so yeah so that's why i really think about it and i totally agree with her because time change and my thought change as well. So right now I think I, I, I don't necessarily to put those direct, strong sexual abusement on the character herself. And I can express this kind of feeling with more subtly and more t- 
technical uh like an interviewer like the way to 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 express my my my, my message so we actually redo a lot of things in that scene so as you can see in the chinese uh, in the english edition and also in the uh, the latest chinese edition we're just using some equipment like technology equipment to become something in between the direct uh, violence and the victim yeah 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 so in other words it's it's uh it's just like the the english translation is now you're, you're yes. you've changed you've made a new chinese version that's basically is it the same as the english translation or is it a, just kind of yeah. similar? yes yes it's oh, the same so i'll say yeah and the, the readers um they, they 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 love it and they think it's even more violence that's what interests me most yeah. yeah i think it's really interesting because at first at first i thought it was very so i read the chinese version first and then i read the english yeah. version to compare and I didn't even I didn't even know that it was different until um, Adrian, my co-host, uh, who's also reading yes. it, he pointed out yes. that he you know he he pointed it, he pointed out that it was different to me and and uh, so I read that that version also and I th I really like the the machine is really creepy and cool <laughs> and interesting it's a good sci-fi yes. machine you know yeah 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 it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really interesting people will relate. Those uh, destined to Cthulhu, you know Cthulhu. Oh yeah, T definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. people think it's very quirky. Yeah, is um is Cthulhu something that you've ever read? Do you read the Lovecraft stories? Is that something you yes. like? Yes, I love it. But awesome. it's pretty. <laughs> uh, I'll say it's pretty marginalized in Chinese uh, readership. So not a lot of people read Cthulhu, but I think it can be a really good element to put into my science fiction writing because I love those kind of like uh, <laughs> terrifying, yeah. unknown, huge stuff, like, uh, yeah, totally evil stuff. <laughs> Maybe a little bit like uh, Mimi, Mimi Wan. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Oh man, that's uh, there's so many things to ask you. Um, I just want, uh, there's one more thing on on the subject of translation I wanted to ask you, which is kind of sometimes people talk about translation as there's mm -hmm. these two extremes. Like on the one hand, yeah. you can try to be as faithful as possible. You just want yep. it to be as similar as it possibly can be to the original language. Yes. And on the other hand, it's more like almost doing like a poetic translation where you know you you're trying to kind of capture some sort of spirit that's the same, but the words will be very different. Do you have a do you have like a, a strategy that you think is best? Do you what what kind of translations? How do you think a translation should be done well, and, and what makes a good translation? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think like to me, like translation is always uh, revelation to the original text. So it's unavoidable to losing something like uh, nuance and authenticity during this process. But uh, I totally have faith in Ken. So I think he is superb and there's no one there can do a better job than he does. So uh, let's say we got to some certain level of agreement that we don't necessarily to go uh, strictly align with the original Chinese text, but the feeling the message is totally loyal 
there. So, but he can choose whether to accurate uh, reflecting the, the sentence or he can choose to loosely translate it to whatever is more friendly and more adapted into the Western uh, context. So I'm totally fine with that because I think it's all for the readers. So if the reader can accept my message, my atmospheres, my feelings uh, in a more natural way, I think that's a good thing to do. So I'm not that kind of person wants to make every sentence by sentence is loyal to the original. I, I'm not that kind of person. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that Ken did a really terrific job. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, his his English, it really is like the... I think your Chinese, you have a lot of very beautiful descriptions in particular. This was something I was interested in because a lot of the descriptions of like a place or like there's a lot of great metaphors of, you know, what things are like. Um, they're very, they're both, they're complicated. They're, they have, they're beautiful, but they're also ugly. They're, yeah. they're scary, but they're also, you know, kind of intriguing. There's a lot mm -hmm. of kind of complicated emotional descriptions of things. And he does a really good job of kind of, he doesn't just say what happened. He sort of yes. captures that complexity. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. Even in Chinese, like people love it and hate it. Like I always receive like extreme different opinions. Like say, you're using too many metaphors. Yes, yes. I just like replied, yes, that's the way I want to do it. So yeah, that's the way I want it to read like. So, mm. but there's somebody say, I really love it because it's not like any other science fiction they read before because it's more literary there's so many in-depth description in details and that make them think a lot actually so i think yeah you couldn't please everyone but i i have to choose my own voice yeah yeah that's a good way to put it choose your own voice i mean you got another choice everybody has to do that <laughs> even if they're not a writer yeah <laughs> Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more also about, uh, one of the things that's kind of come up a little is, you know, your interest in kind of showing people through literature, some stuff that maybe they wouldn't be able to see otherwise, especially yeah. the lives of these people who live in this, um, you know, this, this, this town Guiyu that, that is obviously you don't set the book in the real Guiyu, but it's based yeah. on it. And you want to show people kind of the lives of these people who are very marginalized and, and not a lot of people are, are aware of their existence. But one of the things I thought that was really great about the book is the way that you kind of, you, you, you don't make the world black and white. Every, every character is sympathetic, at least a little bit. Nobody yes. is pure evil. Um, and I thought that was really, and especially when you're talking about like, um, you know, the, the American, uh, economic hitman character, yes. um, or, or, uh, uh, um, I forget his name, the, 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 um, the head Lo of the Jin law Chung. clan. Yeah. Lo Jin Chung. Um, especially when you're talking about those two, you know, there, or, or, or even, um, like Mimi one, like, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're kind of the antagonists. If there is, if there are antagonists, it might be one of those three or all of them. But even they are kind of sympathetic. I mean, can you talk yes. a little bit about what you, how you, how you think about your characters and yes. kind of how you, especially the characters that you write, 
who maybe are really different from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, that's how I see the world and the people because I think everyone has their own limitation put into the context of history and because they make decisions according to the message they receive in the position. So there's not pure black or white. There's not pure good or evil. It's just all about limitation. So people make decisions which they think is totally correct because that's what they can do. So I try to put like everyone actually in the gray tongue. So it's in between black and white. So it's like mixture. So everyone put together, you can see there's always this kind of pathetic uh, aspect in their uh, humanities. And be- but there's always like some shining moment uh, there as well. So you can see a, a, a crowd. Uh, image there so it's full of complexity and it's not simplifying everyone and not simplifying chinese as well or, or westerners yeah that's what i think about it it's my philosophy yeah i really like it i especially the western characters i mean you know it's i, I having read some of your work before i i knew that you're not somebody who writes simple characters, but I was still impressed with with how sort of real they were, how three dimensional. How how did you have a? Was there any character that you found that was it was difficult to get in their head because they were very different from you? I mean, there's so many different characters, and and they come from so many different places. I mean, what about uh, Lord Zintang, for example? I mean, he's somebody yeah. who his life is you know very different from your life. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, actually, I put a lot of like uh, features um, from the people I know, maybe like uh, integrated to one character. Because there's a lot of like similarities on on people, right? So, so on Luo Jincheng, you can see a lot of things very similar to people I know in my hometown. Like in local part, like there's a lot of like gangsters, mm. say uh, mafia-like people. So they have this kind of similarity. They can do bad, really bad things, but meanwhile, they really care about their family and their children for sure. So that's just like what in Godfather, right? So, so it's pretty much <laughs> yep. the same. Yeah, yeah. Of but they are extremely they could be extremely brutal and violent sometimes. So I, I think it's just uh, a lot of things, a lot of elements I collected uh, during my life experience and the people I have contact with. And all those things are my treasure as materials. So I, 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 I just have this kind of uh, sick. Uh, imagination about people. So when I get to know someone new, I'll try to think about his background and try to think about his uh, uh, kinky uh, habits and something, <laughs> etc. Et so yeah, that helped me to create some very 
unique maybe um like uh, as you mentioned like holistic uh, capture image mm, that's really cool yeah so um another uh another thing that uh that we haven't talked about yet is uh technology there's so many topics there's so many things i want to ask you about i'm trying to um, <laughs> move through them relatively quickly because i want to get through as many as i can yeah no worries um there's a lot of really interesting technology in your writing i was wondering um how do you think in general about sci-fi technology and what what science fiction literature can do to talk about technology and kind of what's important and what's not yeah yeah like uh, always there's people asking me is science fiction really predicting the future and predicting like ai or rob- robots or uh, genetic en- engineering technologies i say no just just by luck actually <laughs> when you write as many as you could there must be something like right hitting hitting the target right just by luck so i think it's not the function what science fiction has to do on technology we are not uh, responsible to predict the accurate future on technology development but actually we try to uh, explore the what's behind the technology technology and what's the relationship between the technology and the human beings so we bring in this kind of like uh inv- new invention new new concept and um, on technology try to bring some dynamic change and people will start to respond uh, emotionally physically and then you can see like a big what is right that's the very core of science fiction writing and the narratives so that's how we explore the possibilities once you get one uh, technology uh, element uh, change everything else everything around it the humanity will change accordingly so i think that's basically um what i really love about science fiction is we can really uh using science fiction to 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 tell people like how to do with the uncertainty of the future mm-hmm. whatever it would be so if there's some really killing robots if there will be some really powerful ai or if there will be some very uh evil alien invasion so what human should do and what's the humanity should become so i think that's the most interesting part and most inspiring part of science fiction to talk about technology we don't predict we just prevent right mm. so so that's that's what i think you know that's really interesting. So there's a lot of different kinds of technology in your writing. I was wondering, you know, you've got body modification, genetic engineering stuff, you've got AI, um, you've got, and even the, the e-waste, all of the, all of this stuff about e-waste is, is a, that's technology as well. Um, are there, are there particular kinds of technologies that interest you more, um, Maybe more now than than they used to. More now when than when you wrote, wrote Waste Tide, or what what's most interesting to you right now? 
yeah, I think it's cognitive science and neuroscience. Mm -hmm. So because right now we're doing everything, we do AI based on the knowledge we understand about humans' brain, how we perceive information, how we think, how we make decisions, how we're possessing all this kind of uh, strategy. It's all based on the understanding of human brain. But for now, uh, we just know very little about it. So that's what like interests me the most because so many things, so many mystical things happen in our very little brain and you can understand the whole universe even with this very small gray matters. So I really want to know what's happening in there. Is that like some quantum physics like uh, in between the neuron uh, reaction? I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. That's definitely really, really interesting. I think I can't remember if it was you or if it's if if or if it was uh, Liu Cixin who wrote a short story about astronomers looking at stars and the stars actually are pulsing at this in this particular pattern. And uh, was this is this a story of yours or is it is it Liu Cixin? I think it might be him. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't remember. Maybe both of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's um, it's about the connection between astronomy and the human mind. So that's a definitely recommended yes. story. There's an English translation as well. So maybe I'll link that. I've noticed one thing. I I, I uh, I've noticed uh, you know just looking around the internet for for stuff of, that's your work. I've noticed that you have made you've given some talks to uh, mm -hmm. tech audiences. Yes. Um, about technology and science fiction. Yes. And I was interested in what do you what you think about the relationship between you've already talked about it a little, but what you think about the relationship between like startup culture and like tech companies mm -hmm. and science yeah, yeah, fiction. Yeah. I know you know I've heard that in China like Santi, the three body problem. Uh, one of the reasons it became so famous was because startup people in Beijing uh, really liked it and that kind of made it famous. So, you know, not just in terms of the ideas moving back and forth between writers of science fiction and technologists, but also the markets affecting yes. each other. You know, how do you think about that stuff? Yes, right now there's tremendous vibe about science fiction in China. It's happening right now, like even uh, last weekend, uh, there's a huge sci-fi convention which was hosted in Beijing is organized by the government actually oh wow so yeah so we invited uh robert j sawyer ian mcdonald uh david tuha and a lot of other like famous authors to, to beijing and we have some discussion panels and talks so right now it become a big thing in china because as you mentioned like a lot of tech guys uh, tech tech companies startup ceos they pretty much sci-fi fan and they try to like understand the technology or the, the relationship between technology and the people through reading science fiction. And also they try to get some inspiration out of it. And another thing like the, the market or the government, they think uh, science fiction is a good tool for helping people, especially younger generation to uh, evoke this kind of passion and curiosity on science and technology and on the future for sure. So it's very relevant to innovation strategy right, right now. Like the whole China is uh, transformed from uh, manufacturing, 
model to innovation model, right? So it's also a response uh, pattern uh, during this trade war with America. So people like the, the leaders start to think we have to create, we not only just copy, we not just, just like reproduce. So I think science fiction definitely is a very good genre and also a very good medium for people to start thinking about technology and the future. And because right now there's not so many here in China, so I think the market will like uh, strongly respond to the huge success of three-body problem because it's an exception, I'll say. So nothing like it uh, before, and I, I, I'm not sure after. So yeah, so in, in China, like people will follow. So follow the opinion leaders, like those influencers on internet. So once there's a CEO of Xiaomi, you know, uh, Xiaomi right. technology, Meijin. Yeah. So I guess it's back in 2012. So he posts on Weibo, a Chinese uh, Twitter, uh, so talking about Santi, the three-body problem, and it totally becomes some tipping point about the book. So all this kind of startup who look upon uh, Lei Jun, so they are all followers. So oh. they start to read the book and they, they come some information uh, 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 like... Uh, uh, hub, so they they connecting all these uh, networks, so it become a phenomenon. The word. Wow, I didn't realize it went back to Leijun. Yes, yes. So yes, so actually, it's uh, it's very interesting. I couldn't say it's a coincidence or like uh, it has to be happened in some certain point. So um, right. I think it's also go with the. Jaigeist, Jaigeist of Chinese yeah. society. Yeah. So it's the eager to change, the eager to transfer, the eager to upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> that's really that's really interesting, especially about Legion. I I didn't really uh, I didn't have any sense of that. Um, this reminds me also. I wanted to ask you. Um, the author, uh, I think it's uh, Ningkan, uh, wrote an essay about Chao Huan. Have you heard of this yes. essay? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. I was wondering what you thought about that and what you think about the idea of Chao Huan is ultra unreal for the listeners. This is what Adrian and I, Adrian and I talked about this essay. He actually, Adrian uh, told me all about it. I hadn't heard of it. So uh, what, what's, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Lincoln is also a very famous uh, author in China. He mostly write about uh, surrealism, I'll say. So in between, in between realism and something more magical realism. So I think Chao Huan it's just another uh, term. It's a, just a concept. So maybe you can put it in, in like hyperrealism or like a science fictional realism. It's I think it's totally the same. Just because people like the authors are not satisfying with the traditional realism anymore, because they only describe like relationship between humans, nature, societies, but. Uh, they're lacking of the understanding of uh, technology, right? So right now they have to uh, involve a lot of things. There's different layer of real uh, 
uh, realities like uh, psychology reality or also virtual reality in a way, also data-based reality. There's so many data generated every day from our sensors, from our devices, from our systems. So it's another level of reality. So we have to consider it and contain, uh, include all this kind of different layers of reality into our writings. So that's bring us a more holistic and, uh, and, and more authentic reality in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, it definitely feels like you know, as Nikon puts it in the in the essay, I mean, the you know, the reality, the actual reality of of life in China and and in lots of other places too is is so crazy now. Yeah. I certainly I feel yeah. this way in America also. I mean, it's there's a there's a term that I think the writer uh, Venkatesh Rao uh, invented. It's called future nausea, and it's like <laughs> the feeling of just being like dizzy because everything yeah, is so yeah. weird around you. <laughs> yeah. You <know? laughs> Do you think yeah. that that's kind of affected all of science fiction in China or all of Chinese literature now, or is it like an isolated thing or is it like a everywhere thing? I think it's, it's becoming something common and spreading around. Even like there's some mainstream literature authors right now, they turn into the genre so they try to write something just like science fiction so yeah right now it becomes very trendy stuff mm. um i think and future analysis and and i i i i invented another term like techno neurosis or something yeah so it's a it's a it's a disease so so yeah oh, about anxiety anxiety yeah, uh, te- techno neurosis or something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's about anxiety of the acceleration of society and technology. Everyone become uh, so fear of making uh, of like leaving behind. So I think that's the, the the very common sense, common feeling. That's really interesting. So. Um, how would you categorize your own work? Does it does it make sense to you to to categorize it at all, or or um, you know how do you think your work fits into that? Um, actually, I invented like science fictional realism uh, back in twenty twelve. So right now, there's some students doing paper thesis. Really? Oh yeah. Research on that. Yeah. So actually. I'm not the, the first one who invented actually back to the 1980s, Zheng Wenguang, as you know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a very old generation sci-fi writer uh, in China. So he brought this concept previously. But right now we try to develop it into a, a more integrated uh, idea. So I think that's what tried to categorizing my writing. But, um, you know, it's... It's always changing, like it's dynamic. So maybe after a few years, I'll not, I'll get bored, and I'm just not writing this kind of stuff <laughs> anymore. It's just like William Gibson, he start to write something you you don't know what it is. Maybe nonfiction <laughs> or maybe realism or in between. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> nice. All right. So I wanted to ask you um, just a couple more questions. Um, one is, you know, are there um, works um of science fiction 
that are new that you're really excited about? Like, what are mm-hmm. some other authors, and maybe especially authors that the listeners might not have heard of before, who you are are really in interested China? in? Could be in China, could be anywhere, really. But uh, mm-hmm. certainly, if if there are Chinese authors that are not as famous, our our listeners probably will not have heard of them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because very few of them they translate it into other languages. So right now, we're working with Clark's work with the great Neil Clark. So we might translate it uh, regularly, some Chinese stuff into English and publish on Clark's work. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So there's a lot of young, talented writers there. And I think there's, um, there's a few I really enjoy reading. As, uh, there's one in China, a, a, a female author whose name is uh, Mu Ming. So actually, she's a, she's a product manager in Google, New York. So mm. not very far from you, I guess. So... <laughs> Yeah, so she's from Sichuan province, from Chengdu. So her writing is like a combination of like um, technology with very ancient Chinese uh, culture, like using this kind of uh, uh, artisan stuff and, and using them to doing some very uh, advanced uh, technology things. So, um, but I... I don't think there's anything be translated yet, so I might well introduce her work to Clark's world and might be they can be translated later. Yeah, I think she her writing is what I enjoy pretty much. Maybe because we share the same background from Google. Mm, yeah. So Mooming, that's her name? Yeah, yeah, Mooming. Cool. Anyone else? I think uh very recently, I, I, I'll i not say new, actually, because uh, actually it's pretty old right now. So, But I, I think uh, Ian McDonald's early works, like Brazil, like The River oh, of God, yeah. like the, the, the Davish House, is pretty much uh, something I like a lot because it's all setting in developed countries. And it's oh. super futuristic and cyberpunkish. So, but they all those books didn't get translated into Chinese. So, very few people know about him. So, oh. I think it's it's sad. <laughs> yeah. But well, hopefully, yeah. hopefully, more people will uh, will learn about it, and eventually, it'll be translated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, also J Y Yang in Singapore. Oh, she's yeah. a yeah, she's a very talented, uh, like sci-fi and fantasy writer. So, dealing with uh, minority stuff and gender issues, um, yeah, in a very Eastern background. So, I also strongly recommend. That's cool. Yeah, she's she's been on my list actually uh, yeah, to read. Yeah, we we got a panel in Singapore. I think oh, it's cool. t- tomorrow. Yeah, uh, the title is is science the new religion so i think the topic is also very interesting oh yes that's a that's another thing that uh i didn't uh get to ask you about yet but uh <laughs> it's there's so many so many topics i have to pick yes. only some of them but maybe yeah. i will ask you just a little bit what are your thoughts about religion and science fiction yeah i think in history science uh like uh originally 
uh, born from religion, right? Because in church, like those uh, Christians, uh, priests, they start to look into the sky. They, they study uh, astronomy and they study math. That comes the modern science. So I think there's a lot of similarity between the two. And right now, science seems to become the new religion because we have our uh, unconditional faith and trust in science and technology nowadays for most people. So I, I'm, I'm highly doubted because there's still a lot of uncertainty behind that. So <laughs> like, uh, yeah, science is a dynamic as well. Like you couldn't think about Newton. Yeah. Right. Back in the days and also Einstein. So he made mistakes too. So the, 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 the research is always evolving. So the understanding of the world is also evolving. So I think there's no absolute truth here, but we have to keep open-minded and we have to accept a lot of things maybe beyond science right now. But I dare not to say it's pseudoscience or superstitious or, or what, but I just say maybe we just have to take a step backward and think about what science and religion really is and yes, and how we can like put ourselves how we can find the position of human being in this new system. Yeah, just like the year back in the Renaissance, right? So we have to rethink about the, the position of human being. Um, all right. I mean, with that, you know, it's uh, it's hard to have a better ending. I guess the very last question I'll ask you is, did we miss <laughs> anything? Was there anything that you wish uh, that I'd asked you that I didn't ask? Not quite a lot, but um, when I'm working, working on some new novels, you know, the second novels is yes, always please, please plug, plug away. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm just thinking I, I should write more because sometimes you just got hold back because you have too many expectations, you have too many hesitate, uh, hesitations so because you try to get some breakthrough, but sometimes you just try another direction, maybe you just let it go in, just let it flow. And so right now I'm writing uh, something very peculiar and it's an alternative history. So yeah, about China and America. So oh, wow. yeah, but I'm still thinking about it. Maybe that there's something very sensitive there. So yeah, I'm not sure. So just, just try to finish it. <laughs> Well, that's very exciting. Uh, Stanley Chan, Chan uh, uh thank you very much for joining me on this this interview, uh, on this Spectology special interview episode. Um, Stan is the author of uh, Waste Tide, which the English translation of, uh, of which, uh, by, translated by Ken Liu, uh, came out this year, 2019. Highly recommended. I'll try to link, with, link to various of the things that have been mentioned. Um, and I uh, hope you have a great flight, Stan, and a great uh, time in Singapore. Thank you, Matt. Uh, great pleasure. Um, see you soon. Yep. See you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>